0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week's guest does not really need an introduction. The man is an absolute icon. It's ranking Roger, founding member of the English Beat and General Public. I have been waiting eight months to talk to Roger, and finally it was able to come to fruition. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, Dave Wakeling basically is the English Beat in the States. And Roger is the Beat in the UK and throughout most of the rest of the world. And they sort of operate separately like that. I tried to kind of get some understanding as to why they don't collaborate more often, why they don't join forces. Roger himself says in this conversation that there's a ton of money being left on the table For whatever reason, one of them or both of them just chooses to carry on the way they are. I personally think it's probably more Dave making that decision. Roger sounds pretty into it. But so be it. In fact, just recently after this conversation was recorded, the English Beat, meaning Dave, announced a UK tour. So Dave is going to the UK as the English Beat, touring around. but. Not including Roger, and I just don't understand how that works. I don't I don't know why. Anyway, so we discuss that in this conversation, we get into general public, we get into Roger's solo stuff. We also he talks very candidly about some of his views on marijuana, which I think is really interesting. That's not necessarily my bag, but I'd love to hear his thoughts and opinions about it. And he confirms for us there is new beat music coming in 2016. I'm really excited for you to hear this. The man is a legend. I'm sure you love him as much as I do. He called me from his home in Birmingham, England. This
1: is a huge honor for me, Roger. I really love you a lot. You guys were one of the first bands, the English beat anyway, were one of those first bands that you learn when you're a kid that sort of extends your understanding of popular music beyond what you're hearing on the radio, you know?
2: I'm glad we had an effect.
1: (laughs) You did, huge. I was the oldest kid in my family, so I didn't have that older sibling that turns you on to that stuff usually, but I had older cousins, and I remember seeing the What Is Beat CD in their collection in the early 80s, and I've given What Is Beat to more people than I can even count. Wow. So it's uh, it's a huge, (laughs) I love it, a lot of people do. So the reason I wanted to talk to you specifically is because Dave Wakeling is, I mean, hes I don't know if he's ever off tour. He's constantly touring around here. I've seen him probably five or six times, but we don't get to hear from you enough. And so I thought, I want to know what Roger's doing. First and foremost, yeah. tell me what the state of the English beat is right now, it, your version of the English beat. How often do you play? What do you do? What's the What's going on?
2: Well, we play all the time as well, and we go all around the world. I mean, we've been to Japan, Australia, New Zealand, yeah, really. Russia. We've been, you know, obviously all around Europe. We've just come back from Ireland. It works out in the long run that there's there's enough room for all of us to go out and do the beat if we wanted to. I think in our in our different formats, the initial deal was was that you know Dave would because he lived in America, he would do the beat in America and I would do the beat in England or the English beat, you know. He'd do that in in America. I'd do the beat in England. You know, obviously, I haven't been to America, but he's been to England now a few times, well, two or three times. So I'm due to come over with my posse. But if I do come over, I need to come over with a new record, I think. I think it would make it all the more worthwhile, and so that's what I'm working on at the moment, is, is a new record.
1: A new English beat, your version of the English beat, proper record? That's
2: right, yes. Wow, yes.
1: interesting. So let me ask yeah. you this, I mean, what what prevents you, if you were to come with, to the States, with just joining up with Dave for at least around the States?
2: Probably just uh, personal differences in, in how it should be run. I mean, I you know, me and Dave. You know, there were many years where we didn't even talk to each other, and we only okay. spoke to each other through through people. But then, you know, obviously we we've met up a couple of times in the in the in the last couple of years, and we've mm-hmm. been fine with each other. Big hugs. You know, we've sat down Good. and spoke quite a bit, and we don't hate each other. You know, what I was trying to get together with Dave was general public he wants to do the beat and i'd like to do general public so that's that's Mm. that's where we are that's where we've left it at the moment I love my version of the beat, sure, and uh, you know it, it goes down the storm, it's on the underground, yet it's commercial right. and it's got it's got integrity and it's got sure. a lot of there's a, a lot of energy on stage and the the audience feel that you know and i I, sure. I don't want to disrespect you know Dave's version of the beat, but
3: sure.
2: you know, I love my version of the beat that's all I do.
1: okay, uh, is Everett still drumming with you?
2: Everest no longer drumming with me. I'm using a guy called Foz Townsend. Obviously, mm. he's, he was yep. he was with a band called Pop, Pop Will Eat itself, and the Wonder Stuff right. he played with them. And another guy called Oscar Harrison, who drums with a band called Ocean Colosseum.
1: Love them both. So yeah. they're,
2: they're, sometimes we have them both at the same gig, and they're both, once playing percussion, once playing drums, and they swap over, and that's brilliant as well, you know. Yeah, very cool. E-Ev- Everett, at the moment, is doing his own version of the beat, which is called, again, yeah, it's getting crazy, isn't it? Which is yeah. Called, that's, uh, this is how infectious the music is, you see. It's like it, th- there might yet be six different versions of the beat, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, Everett's version of the beat is called The Beat Goes Bang. I mean, if you look at that sure. online, like, yeah, you might see Very something cool. on YouTube, for instance. Yeah, so that's that's his kind of... Version of the beat, so yeah, we're all doing it in our own way. But when we come to America, we're just going to kick up some dust. Yeah, just do it yeah. your way. Okay. Well, absolutely. Well, do it our way, and and people have to walk out. They're going to have to bring a spare T-shirt <laughs> to the gig because it, gonna, it's going to be like a proper workout. You know, I'm fifty-three right. now, you know, but I still, I'm fifty-three going on eighteen, man. and That's it's, crazy. it's really because. You know, in the band, my son's with me, you know, Rankin Jr., and he's absolutely, he just keeps me on my feet, he keeps me on my toes, so we're both running around the stage. It's a bit like double turbo now. Yeah, so everybody in the
1: beat just gets to continue kind of doing their own thing, but it doesn't sound like there's animosity between anyone, but maybe there's just a lack of desire to pair back up and do it in one big I th- thing. I it, I it so. thing,
2: I think I think so. I think any you know any original beat member is entitled to take the name and go out and do it in their own form, the way they want it done. If I want a psychedelic version, if you know, mm-hmm. if, I wanted, mm-hmm. if I wanted to do a Grateful Dead version of the beat, then I could, and maybe I might in time, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But, but but it's kind of you know now it's very. Back to the first album, and not only the first album, but it's also very dobby as well. There's a lot of yeah. dob sections in there, and and that's yeah. something that the crowd really get off on nowadays. They, you know, they, they come especially. We don't know what the dubs are going to sound like because they're different mm-hmm. every night. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they're spontaneous and the work and there's, it's just. You know, it, uh, how can I uh, explain it? It's just, it's just got atmosphere. You know?
1: Excellent energy. Well, and a lot of your yeah. solo stuff is like that.
2: Indeed. In your head, yeah, yeah. it's
1: very dubby. about <laughs> Is that a yeah. solo album of yours, or is that a that is, collection
3: yes. of
2: remixes? It, what is that? It is a solo effort, yes.
1: Okay. I'm yeah, not, all yeah. that stuff's very, like, reggaeton and, and dub and programmed. It's, it's killer. Dance stuff, especially,
2: very high energy. Experimental, that's the word. And, oh, good. And, and, yeah, very You chill. know, they, they are the key phrases, you know. I mean, Sly and Robbie were my favorite rhythm section in the world. I mm-hmm. uh, still are in, in many ways. I love them because they dared to be different, and that's the angle. Dare to be different, and you might right. find something new and unique that way, you know. By yeah. merging the different types of music together, a new type of music may come out, you know, and that's kind of the way I yeah. look at it. And yeah. still hope and, and strive towards that all the time.
1: That's great. Good for you. So few things. Number one, one of the times I've seen Dave was about 10 years ago, at a show in Utah, and Linville Golding was joining him. So I know there's a lot of like cross-pollinization between specials members and beat members and playing with each other whenever it fits. But I remember at that show, Dave declaring that the real English beat was coming back, getting back together, we should be seeing them very soon, a reunion of sorts with you, and then it never transpired that I'm aware of, at least not in the States or where there was much pub for it.
3: Right now,
1: so think, it sounds yes. like this is kind of something that's always out there, but no one ever really wants to pull the trigger on it.
2: Yeah, I think what you refer into is when we played the Royal Festival Hall in London, and we tried to get as uh-huh. many original beat members together, and we did a concert that's which is actually out on DVD, and that was phenomenal. It was sold out, and there was a great crowd, and it was a great vibe, and I, I believe Saxa was there as well. You know, yeah. and Rankin Junior. made his first appearance with the beat. Oh, nice. Concert. And after that, I thought, right, you're coming on the road with me now. That's, um, you know, from then, he's kind of been there, you know, doing yeah. backing vocals and stuff. Because cool. I do, I, I do all the lead vocals now. He more or less does yeah. all the the emceeing and the toasting. and I do all bits and bobs, you know, just to say, yeah, yeah. I can still do it, you know. Switch roles. Um, he's doing you yeah. now. Yeah, that's
1: right, Killer. indeed. Yeah, Great. yeah. Now you mentioned having a greater desire to reform General Public versus English Beat. What's the difference? Because, And I'm sorry, Roger, if these are all questions yeah. you've answered a million times. Not for a long time. You know, okay, well, good. Way. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so General Public, also still a beloved band. I mean, to us, that's still just you and Dave. But if you don't want to yeah. reform to do the English beat, but you do want to reform for General Public, and a lot of those songs, you'd be playing the same ones. Every time I see Dave, he plays General Public songs. So, what's yeah. the difference in your mind?
2: In my mind, I, I think. Beat tunes should sound like the beat, mm. and and general public tunes. Well, they're open for exploitation and for experimentation more, you know. And I just think that me and Dave doing general public would be a good thing, and you would get a great balance. It was always the Paul McCartney, I was always the John Lennon. If you uh, like, well, that's the way uh, I sure. always thought it, you know. Sure. But I think with the beat, that's a different thing. I think we we, we might clash. There might be differences in the way it should sound and mm. be run you know there might be there whereas general public is quite neutral ground you know we mm-hmm. we would be so open on that ground it would be good yeah. you know it'd yeah, be nice. healthy so with general public work then maybe later on we could try doing the english beat you know uh, but i know general public would stand more chance of working than you know if we'd done the beat it would have to change it would you know it changed yeah all his band's life and all my band's life. Which true. ones you're going to use, and you know, whatever. So, yeah, yeah. Because you know, it's, it's an ongoing thing with both bands. You know, we're both. That's true. Recently. these are people's
1: livelihoods
2: and their jobs, right? Yeah, I mean, that's you push right. Things so you up, start, and then suddenly people are out of work
1: for a while, and they don't. Well, you know, they're mean, not the being paid is, Regularly, it, but
2: the fact is, if me and Dave got together, it would be worth so much money. We both know that, you know, but it's not the money I'm interested in or else I wouldn't be here still doing yeah. it. It's the quality is so important, you know. Just things like that and how you deal with people is so important. Oh. You know, for all through my, you know, nearly 40 years career, I've managed to remain grounded, down to earth, always approachable, as much as of as, as a realist as I could ever be, you know. Sure. And and, and I've, I haven't changed. You know, even my, my yeah. old mates tell me, you know, they say, you're exactly the same as you were. You've never <laughs> changed, you know. So, and, and I don't intend to. If I am, it's a bit late now, isn't it? You know, yeah, right. I've, I've done most of my career, if you like. But yeah. um, it's the way I am, and it's the path I took. I always said to yeah. myself that, you know, the day you become big-headed and don't have time for anybody, so I can talk to a millionaire and I can talk to a bag man on the street. Yeah. It, you must. It's important. And the day you deny that is the totally day you agree. lose. You 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 lose your yeah. talent and your skills and your gift or whatever it is. Yeah, so, totally agree. I, I've always always been the outlook. And and really, you know, you, you must when you check somebody, you must check them for their heart, it's not what they've got. You must True. check them for what's True. in within. You know what they give out to the community. That matters. Yeah.
1: Yeah, very true. Well, good. Well, I, I mean, obviously, as a fan, I hope you guys can work that out. It would seem to me, if considering you're both on just perpetual tours, once yeah. every five years, you go out together as general public, and then you pull back yeah. and do your own thing, and then you're not yeah. bugging each other, because apparently, well, you right. know, like most marriages or families, too much exposure to each other kind of gets old after a while. So like yeah. every five years, it's a general public tour with the two of you doing your thing, and then you go back for the next four years doing what you do anyway.
2: Yeah, well, well, hopefully a there's a way idea. to work and, that out. You know, and I, the thing is, I'd do I'd do general public once every every two or three years. I'd do it. Yeah, you know? it's sure. Just one of the, so it could be even as frequent as that. You know.
1: Yeah. But I would
2: say I think Dave can see more money in the base, and certainly over mm-hmm. here because we do really well. He can see more clout in, in the beat than general public, and of course it would be because it was the roots of both of our careers, and sure. the best tunes are there, and the best uplift can be made from there as well. Yeah. You know, if it was a catapult ourselves back into the charts, you know that that would yeah, be a great definitely vehicle definitely. Too, for it to do. Yeah, with the two of us, it would work. Interesting. Well, we'll hope, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I still do. I still do hope. it's down to time but time is running out you see we're not getting any younger i know i'm still totally capable of doing it because i'm you know i've been doing it for years and i'm still doing it and i'm still quite active and happy with it you know i just hope i'm just not some proper proper pensioner by the time i reach america you know what i mean right
1: Uh, but it it. won't
2: be that long yeah Yeah, let's do this man
1: it's, it's interesting, too, because I was thinking before we were talking, the English beat, and maybe this is again going back to Dave's perpetual touring. English beat yeah. are still, I mean, they're probably bigger or as big now in the States as they ever were. And, and I was thinking about how you guys in the specials still have some name recognition, whereas a band like The Selector, no one's heard from them for a long time, Madness, yeah. is gigantic over there, but has. Yeah all but been forgotten about over here and they were arguably bigger than you guys ever were, so it's just interesting to me that what has continued to catch hold, at least where I am in the States, and the general public and English Beat, you two, you and Dave, are still very much ever present in our consciousness, where other bands have fallen away, and it just feels like man, we gotta capitalize on this you know, there's a market out there, people care deeply about you
2: Truly, but the, the, the thing that's different about our music, it's a different type of music. Yeah, we did write pop songs, but it was all based on the two things. They had to be catchy rhythms and catchy melodies. Rhythm, melody, those two things, and yeah. then the hook lines then. So, yeah. I mean, in, in general public, I was, I was so responsible for a lot of melodies, and, and especially the rhythm and how things went, you know, how the uh-huh. bass went with the drums and stuff. And, you know, Dave w- was definitely responsible for hook lines, you know. Mm, okay. um, So, you know, we had our strong points, and we had our, yeah. our... When we worked together, it was brilliant, and it still can be, as I say, you know. Yeah, Um yeah. But, but the thing that worked with with the beat was the rhythm and the melody, And but we had no control over it. We just knew that was all we could do, you know. It wasn't yeah. about chords and chord structures. It was about the sure. melody and, the you know, and the rhythm, so... Hence, totally you yeah. know, mirror in the bathroom and, and things That's like it. that, you know.
1: And I hope this doesn't sound like a condescending question in any way, but you and Dave's voice sound so similar. Are you, you know, like take Mirror in the Bathroom, for instance, or I Confess, or, you know, even Tenderness. Is the role that you're playing, you personally, a primarily of a backup singer or the co-singer? I know you're also writing the songs. Are you playing percussion yeah. on some of those things?
2: What's, yeah, what's... well, there's percussion, backing vocals. And, you know, in the studio, sometimes we sang unison, so you didn't know which one was which, you know? Take a tune, like, So Hot You Call, for instance. And, is it really? It's so hard to tell that it's it is. two different people. I suppose we kind of lived with each other for three or four years while the first beat went around. We were on tour, uh-huh. buses and hotels. We were always making the music. And we just kind of found that niche within each other. You know, he used to copy uh-huh. me. I used to copy him. Well, take general public. That would be eight years then, yeah. um, as long as a marriage. And, you know, it basically... Yeah, we learnt a lot from each other, so we have got each other's style along the way. I mean yeah, even sometimes yeah. he tries to toast, you know, as well. I <laughs> <our nonsense. laughs> <laughs> So it's kind of, you know, it, it, it's all there and it's all what yeah, we've learned okay. and you use you use what you learn, you sure. know, to better yourself I suppose. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah, I wonder because on the some of the songs were if it's not toasting, which there are several of the songs that are just you doing
3: that. <laughs>
1: You are sometimes. I know you're there, but I'm wondering specifically where. And then I wondered if maybe you sometimes serve a role like Bez does in the Happy Mondays, like a party starter or this like extra little flavor that's not obvious, but it enhances
2: the music. Anyway, I hope that doesn't sound condescending. I'm just saying sometimes I I love. You know, I wonder where it is. That's right. Well, it's it's definitely within the harmonies, within the percussion, within the writing, within the everything. You know, but the, the, the thing is live is different from recording and what i was was i was the front man for the beast Mm -hmm. i was the guy who got the crowd going you know true before it was like it
1: the last time again going back last time a lot of people heard from you was on that bands reunited show that was on vh1 about of course what was that like 10 or 12 years ago oh you that was
2: about, about that yes
1: you say that in a really downtrodden way do you not well, of, it's
2: not that, it's that, you know, the whole thing about the, you know, the Royal Festival Hall gig, uh-huh. what we did. I mean, it was, it was those guys who set all that off. Oh. It was some something to do with them. And, yeah. um, you know, obviously, I say it because I really wanted everybody to at least have, a, you know, have a say, even if everybody didn't come and play, and, you know, we didn't all play together in the end. I wanted everybody to be on that Band's Reunited, and even if they said, no, I don't want to do it, at least you showed your face and you said it. And two of them didn't. And I was just kind of, I was a bit disappointed in that, but Mm -hmm. I could understand it, because they're kind of camera-shy people anyway, so, you know, they wouldn't want to be doing interviews. But it's a shame that we didn't all get together just to do that one gig, because it would have been something else and it may have you know it may have led totally. to something else but the gig itself was great anyway it was a great gig good. it just would have been so yeah. much more intense if it was you know oh, the good. original members you know those two for whatever
1: reason I mean they're a mystery I, I would uh, yeah. I'd love to talk to them too I mean Fine Young Cannibals have just completely disappeared in the dust and I'm sure oh, they, yeah. they, I- people would love to know where did they go We, you know those songs are still around too but
3: yeah.
2: For whatever reason, they just don't want to even talk. I don't. I don't know. No, the, I don't get it. That's what I mean. They like. They like the quiet life, and they're like. Yeah. The, they're not into the press and stuff like that. And it's. Yeah. It's. It's pretty amazing, you know, because David Steele, you know, the bass player, he was responsible uh-huh. for so many of the beat bass lines you know, like you know, yeah. Mirror came from him. Twist and crawl too. Nice to talk to. Right. Even Soleil Twosho. All them psychedelic rockers. All them weird yeah. ones they were his and it, that reminded me of like velvet on the ground and stuff you're yes. getting into that kind of if you like indie kind of right. angle. and I, I i think that is something that that was a magic in the beat and it was totally. it carried on into the cannibals with it but it wasn't it wasn't the same as when it was in the beat you know it was, no. it was, but know. still what a unique you know a unique bass player i gotta say totally agree um and and both, uh, you know, both, even Andy Cox, you know, unique guitarist, the African yeah. style he plays, he's always, yeah. you think he's hardly playing anything, but when you actually hear what he's playing, you go, whoa, that's pretty incredible, yeah. very melodic again, you know, those two guys, I mean, we get on, I'd get on with them, no problem, we'd see each other every three or four years, you know, that kind oh, okay. of thing nowadays, yeah, uh-huh.
1: yeah. Well, and they probably made enough money off "She Drives Me Crazy Alone" that they can just sit back and do whatever they (laughs) and retire basically for the rest of their lives, right? I think that album
2: sold like twenty million or something silly. It's probably more. It was more than that, but I mean, initially it was because when I heard it, I was like, "Well, twenty million, three yeah." And I said, you know, I, I was really pleased oh, for them. And, I, and then yeah. then I was like, oh, my God, why did we split the beat off? Because that would have been yes. a awesome. big time. This uh, is how it goes, you know. And I, I mean, I know there's, many a time I sat and, you know, bit my my finger and thought, what the hell, why did you go and listen to Die <laughs> Waking For? You know, kind <laughs> of thing. Right. But, you know, we've done what we've done. It's all experience. Sure. I'm still in the business. I'm still quite happy with it. I'm yeah. very active and you know still prolific. And I yeah. can't complain. You know, the, the, because of the respect that people have given yeah. the beat. You know, even now, people who saw us, you know, 35 years ago, still come to the gigs. But there's a new audience as well. You know, all the yeah. young ones are coming there. So that's kind of. But yeah. the thing is, they all know the lyrics. I
3: know. I'm
2: I'm there singing on stage, watching like. A 15 or 16 year old, you know, singing Uh the lyrics word to word, and it almost puts me off because I'm like, bloody hell, you you were forced when that scene was written. You know, it's like, wow, that's amazing. You know, really, it's good, it's positive, but it can be, you know, it can be awe inspiring, you know, that the legacy of the music is lived on.
1: I got the English Beat box set for Christmas, even though I already had a couple of those albums, but I got the box set for Christmas. And so I have three little kids, eight, seven, and three. And I, we were listening to them in the car. And near in the bathroom, for whatever reason, it, it just completely captured their imagination. And so now they ask to hear it all the time. We sing it together all the time. I told them I was going to be talking to you the other day. They wanted to hear it oh. again. So, yeah, here's an eight, seven, and four, three-year-old in Denver, Colorado, that is, you know, falling in love with you all over again as well.
2: It's uh Fantastic. It's cool life Fantastic. The to I mean, yeah. I'm
1: impressed. <laughs> I know, isn't that great? So going back to the bands reunited thing, I mean, are you still also a inline skate instructor too, or do you primarily make your living off music now?
2: Well, I always made my living off music, and I started inline skating just to keep fit, and then I got into a bit of speed skating, learned a bit of that, and that was fantastic. Then I learned roller hockey. And then, you know, I I started teaching people, but then I went through a couple of instructors' courses, got them. Then I started teaching people properly, you know, and I did that for a few years. But in between making the music, the music has always been first. I don't do it anymore. I'm still in line, but I don't... I mean, if I see someone in trouble, I'll stop them and go, oh, actually, it's because you're not standing up properly. And I'll I'll, 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 I'll put your hands on your knees or something. You know, I kind of guide them a little bit and I'll skate off again. And people listen and, you know, it's just a respect from skater to skater now kind of thing. But I don't really teach it anymore now, but I love it. I think they're great. I must have about 20 pairs of skates, you know. Cause, yeah.
1: yeah, the impression kind of left from that show was that Ranking Roger is now, that's your primary source of income. And that's <laughs> one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is sort of the financial side of how people continue to pay their bills for the rest yeah. of their lives based on hits that happened a long time ago or is it touring. That's, right. that's why the podcast is called The Hustle because artists have to continue to hustle to stay out there and stay relevant and make a living and stuff. So the impression from us is that, boy, is Breaking Roger, is that all he does now? But it sounds like that was just a thing you do kind of on the side. Music is On the side,
2: yeah. Well, it was. I mean, obviously, I, w- I was doing the music still. I was in Special Beat for a while. I don't know if you remember Special Beat, which was never yep, Neville Hall, And that's, we we'd done that kind of thing. And that's yeah. kind of when it all started. I'd come back to England, and I was skating in a local park, and this guy went, I like his style. This is after i have been doing skating and roller hockey for a while and he says well you know i've got this company and oh, i can't remember the name of it now believe it or not i i ought to but top of my head i can't oh they were called warp sports Warp okay. sports that's what they were called and okay. he had his own shop in birmingham and he had this thing set up with the police and with the council where you know they put money into these skates and all the pads and stuff and this is the council and the police. from And, the you know, the police took it from criminal money and put it into that, you know, so the money, what they made from criminals, what they confiscated, they would put into this, you know. They got all these skates and pads, and we'd go out and we'd teach these kids who, well, some of them had been in trouble with the police, and some of them were on probation, and then others were normal kids who... They weren't in trouble or anything, but they were looking like they were going that way. Uh And we would teach them skating as a lifestyle. So it's another thing to do, instead of going around and hanging on street corners, get fit and do something, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I did that for the best part of of 18 months, you know, and it was great, you know. We used to go to schools, we used to go to parks, bring all the equipment, skate ramps, everything, and you could learn to skate in 20 minutes and it was oh, wow. just fantastic you know i mean i'd on a good day i'd teach about you know 40 people in a day uh-huh. but you know and, but i'd spend about 15 minutes with each one kind and it was non-stop and lo- I, I, i was amazed how a kid who's who's like six or seven will get uh-huh. on a pair of skates and within 15 20 minutes they're skating around and showing you tricks yeah. Whereas an adult, it takes an adult about you know a good couple of weeks to get the hang of it before they get the confidence properly, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's amazing how kids just get it straight away. They just woof, they're gone,
3: But that was cool. good.
2: I did did that for a while, and um, you know, then he his company, his the shop side of it went bankrupt. But he had mm. a skate park in Wolverhampton, which is about ten miles from Birmingham, and that was doing really well. Uh, and uh, some paintball things. I kind of left that scene okay. and just got back into the music because, you know, yeah. obviously people wanted my services, so I had to... Sure. You're yeah. you're, you're beloved, for
1: sure. Okay, yes. there's something I've always wanted to ask you, and i got to ask you before I forget. i got to know where the blonde streaks in your afro came from in general public. Because I was 11 years old when that album came out. Yes. And I remember... All the rage. Yes, all the rage. Still one of my favorite Everything you do, basically, is among my favorites. But anyway, I remember, like, being in record stores, and you cut such a defining image. The blonde streaks, the way your eyes are just, like, peering through the people. You're, like, daring people to buy your album. There was a while there. I remember walking through a mall and seeing a music land and that album on the wall in the music land and feeling like Breaking Roger was staring right through me. And it cuts this amazing image, right? I mean, yes. it's, uh, it defined an era. It was one of that and the eyes, which the general public logo being those eyes, I've never known where that came from because that looks sort of sinister and you guys aren't a sinister band. But you got to tell me where those streaks come from and where the eye logo comes from.
2: Yeah. Well, obviously, the eyes are meant to be looking, well, they look at you whichever way you go, and I'm sure they're both the same eye reverse. And now, I don't know if it's mine or Dave's eyes. I don't know which one of ours it is, but we you know, we kind of took it and got the, the, the uh, arts person to change it around. So it looked like either some sergeant or some corporal major looking at you really, yes. mean, or it could be someone from the general public who was really angry about society.
3: So you can look ah, it at it both great. ways.
2: So I, I like the kind of, uh, the, the gist of that. And we got the name from the Houses of Parliament because it says no no entrance to the general public. And
1: oh, obviously that cool. became...
2: <laughs> yeah. Cool, okay. And the streaks were just me again, you know, the beat had finished and I thought, right, dear, to be different. And yeah. that was it. I just thought, right, let, what would happen if I could do... Yeah, yeah let's do that. And it became... You know, I, I came out with the bee as I called it in the end. <laughs> it looked like a bee running across that stage.
1: Well, it's iconic. Yeah. I mean, it's an it's an iconic look. I, I'm looking at your out at the All the Rage album right now, and I just remember being a kid and being. It's so provocative, just being so compelled to know why this. And I'm in. I'm from Utah, where there's not a lot of black guys in Utah. <laughs> yeah. So why is there? Why is this? cool-looking black guy with the gold streaks staring at me like this. I have <laughs> to know what's going on, you know? That was right around the time I discovered English Beat. My, like I said, my cousins were the first people I knew to get a CD player, and they yeah. had almost all their CDs were like Grateful Dead, Jethro Toll, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, which I like all that stuff too, all but the collection? only thing that was yeah, in their collection, and and the mm-hmm. only thing that was different was what is Beat, and I pulled that album out, and it's got kind of the Mod looking color art deco cover, and I'm just like, ooh, this looks like more my style. And I flip it over, and General Public's really big at the time, and I'm like, well, I know who those two guys are. What's this thing that, <laughs> that I'm listening to? You know, and it just it it was one of those defining moments that just kind of. It, I mean, you know how it is when you grow up and you've got that person who influences you to expand your musical taste just beyond what you're used to and comfortable with, and then it opens a door to like. You know, miles and miles of music that enhances your life forever. You were key yes. in that moment for me. So anyway, that's
2: like that's like the first time I ever met Nick Jones from the Clash, oh. Oh, and really? he 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 already knew who I was, and he was already grabbing me to pull me backstage uh-huh. past security, and I was just like, wow, and just the welcome that i got from those guys, you know, and they're like, when you're coming on stage, you got got no idea. And I'm like, what? nothing <laughs> <laughs> thing I know, I was doing Armageddon time with them kind of thing.
3: A lot of people won't get no supper tonight. A lot of people won't get no justice tonight. The battle is getting hard. People won't get no justice tonight.
2: Remember to kick it no one will guide you oh, it's like what's going on? You know, I you yeah. know I'd heard the music. I was a big fan of theirs while when I was a punk rocker, because I started off as a punk before I joined the bass. Right. And you know, it was just so good and next thing i knew we were on tour with them in america doing crazy you know we must have done you know certainly a a couple of tours with them in america but those were some of the best times again because it was like next time we met i'd already met them and i met people like mikey dread as well and that was like backstage with the clash and we didn't know who was going to go on stage that night if it was going to be me or him and people wanted us to to have uh, this, like this MC competition against each other, and we weren't into it because we were friends. You know, we didn't want to yeah. battle each other. It was yeah. that kind of vibe was going on, and, but it was great. You know, really yeah, there sure. for laugh about. Sure. You know, bands being protected. The Clash were one sure. of the most protected kind of rock and roll bands I ever worked with. I know the police working with the police or something else. They had security like dirt. Boy, oh, I believe it. But the, the clashes roadies were more or less their security. Really? No one, no one, they were all tough guys, and nobody would mess with them. I'll tell you what, they were some street yeah. guys, proper rough, you know, but good good people at the end of the Go day, ahead. as you oh, worked yeah. guys, you know. Yeah.
1: These interactions with our heroes are just kind of mind-blowing sometimes, isn't it? Yeah.
2: And, and yeah. if they change you, then great. I mean, the first time I ever met Sting, you know, we had been doing some gigs with them, and it... I think it was like the second or third gig we'd done with them in America, and he was, you know, people were like, "Oh, they're really tired at the moment, you know. Don't trouble them. Leave, you know, leave them Just say hello if anything." And that's, and I'm walking towards the stage because we have to do sound check, and Sting was lying down with his sunglasses on on the grass reading a book, and he goes, "All right, Roger." How are you doing? You know, and I'm just like, Oh my God, here we go. And I went over. That is exactly what you think. And it was is just going to happen. With and people. I'm thinking, where are your bodyguards? You know, you meant to be some, you know, this big soup who's number right. one in the charts at the moment. And you right. you're just so normal and down to earth and you learn from your heroes. It's sure. always so good to, to be, if, to be approachable. And, the yeah. divas of this business shouldn't be in the business. That's all I yeah. think. You know, from my experience, I've been in it long enough. You know, um, if you're gonna if you're gonna be famous, you must make sure you take time and have time for the people who made you in the first place. It's important.
1: That's interesting. Public perception now of Sting is that he might be kind of a diva, but you're saying it's yeah. the opposite. At least back in the day, he was a regular, down
2: to earth, bookworm loving guy, right? Oh, absolutely. But he still had had bodyguards around him. It's just what I'm saying is, when you were in a room with him or somewhere with him one-to-one, all of a sudden, he wasn't tensed anymore. He didn't feel like there were a hundred eyes watching him. He could actually be himself. And he was, he was a normal, he was a normal geezer, but just a brilliant, brilliant, you know, songwriter with a great voice, you know, but but a great mind what I meant, you know, I mean, I obviously yeah. proved it all the time. And, yeah. I, you know, in many ways, I I, I believe that, because, you, you know, we must have done three or four tours with the police, because we, we'd done the first tour with them, and, you know, by about the third or fourth gig, Stuart Copeland was telling me that we're the first band, you know, they had Squeeze, they had loads, mm-hmm. oingo, boingo, loads of bands opened up for them. None of yeah. them could get the audience moving. Except the beat. When we went on, everyone everyone stood up. By the time we went off, and we were only allowed like half an hour or 45 minutes. By the time we came off, everybody was stood up and dancing and ready for the police. So we just kind Great. of set them up nice, if you like, and they yeah. loved that because we made them work harder. I mean, the, awesome. you know, when when the beat went on stage, it was no man's land. You didn't know what was going to happen next, and and all our gigs were dangerous. When I say that, they were dangerous if we were opening up for any band. Like the first time we came to America, we opened up for the Pretenders. We'd done a two-week tour with them, and then after that we went off and did our six weeks round as the, you know, kind of introducing ourselves to America. Well, Uh lo and behold, by the fourth gig, we weren't allowed sound checks anymore. Because the first gig came and I was like, what's America going to be like? And we went on stage and we did quite well. Okay. Pretenders went on and they did quite well but they had already you know they had a hit in America already by the fourth gig we were blowing them off stage man oh man and they didn't and see, right. and the, so, so, so they started cramping down on our sound checks so that's kind of like but, you know, Chrissy Hines was really nice. I mean, I remember having kind of lunch with her at the table, and she was really nice. So I think it was down to their, their roadies were protecting the band. I think it was more like Bradley. um yeah. More than the band saying, you know, don't give them that. But we were only allowed so many lights, and only a part of yeah. the PA, and we are only yeah. hard and loud, and all those things, you know. Sure. But, but you know, we moved on, and we got signed, and next thing you knew, you know, we were working with the best people, we were working with... R.E.M. used to open up for us. R.E.M. Oh, was doing man three tours with us before we made I.R.S. sign them. you know, and they became oh, one man. of the biggest rock and roll bands in the world. I used to love them guys like Michael Geezer, the singer. We used, to, we used to hit off really well. You oh, know. that's so, great. You know, I mean, so many people who we've kind of Amazing. met along the way and worked yeah. with as well and done tours with, so you're kind of living with them in, in, in a way. You know, each one teach one. You get to learn, and I think the the people from that era, right, right. a lot of them, are really grounded and down to earth.
3: Good. And
2: and and you know, a lot of the is was it like in the 70s, and it came later on in the 90s. I think.
1: You and Sting did that version of the bed's too big without you.
3: It's just the same. i don't know if it was
1: specifically for the truth about cats and dogs soundtrack, but that's where I heard it.
2: Well it was yes. It. Okay. It, yeah, it was for for, for for that, and I think it was released on the European version, not the American version, or something like that. I'm not sure. But, I have um, the
1: soundtrack. I bought it because of that song. And oh um, wow, cool! And it's a good soundtrack. But I don't. I never heard it on the radio or anything. It was just you know there on that thing. Was it released as a single in the in the UK?
2: In the UK, it was yes, but as oh, a wow. it was on the it was like on the B side to the single, so it wasn't oh. the A side. Okay. obviously okay. On, the, on the CD but the, I mean if you look on YouTube the, the and you look for Sting and Rankin Roger on the White Room I think the show was called. And okay. there's there's one of me and him doing it live on telly which is quite oh, a good
1: excellent.
2: one. And I must okay. say I was really nervous doing that but it it come across <laughs> really good so it's kind of oh, easy, I'm a good piece of yeah. Yeah. Very yeah.
1: cool. I'll find it. So you got to tell me how I'll take you there happened and the uh, you know the brief general public i gotta tell you i don't i hope it's, i think i'm one of the few people that loves rub it better I, I don't know how people oh. st- feel about that i only say that because it's one of those cds that unfortunately over here i see in the used bins a lot and i think it's yeah. awesome i love it so how did how did you guys come back together for i'll take you there that movie that said we
2: want you guys here yeah it was the well basically they paid me and dave a lot of money to come and do this threesome backing track for them you know and and the guy had he says well we'll we'll pick out of these tunes and obviously i'll take you there was the perfect one i came to l.a dave was already over there we rehearsed it a bit and then next thing you know we kind of you know we're in the studio with this guy ralph Ralph Saul, his name was. I remember that. And, um, yeah, that's so long yeah. ago, too. Uh, and, you know, he saw the thing through and obviously it was going to happen with Sony and Sony loved it. Um, mm-hmm. And we didn't expect anything, but they turned around and said, we want you to get back together, we want you to make a record, we want you to do this and that. And Obviously, I only thought we were going to do the one single. Maybe that's why I'll take you there is not on the record, because we did that, went away, but next thing we knew, they were saying, well, we need a video now. And then they said, we want to sign you. So after mm. they signed us, we went off and made Robert better. While making the record, Dave's father passed away, so that wasn't good. Oh, uh, the, the producer, that. Jerry Harrison from the Talking Heads, we're probably mm-hmm. the Talking Heads too. So I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Um, the, the Jerry Harrison broke some ribs, so he was at the studio for a week. So we had some problems, but you know, obviously I was there and I just carried on, you know, doing the production. And sure. we had we had a couple of guys who were downstairs doing all the editing. We brought in all these professional editors, and while all this was happening, Mick Jones flew over and put guitar on the album, and I just thought oh. fantastic. So it seems like it's weird that oh. Jones doing all the weird. Yeah, really? oh,
3: killer!
2: That's the man, yeah.
3: Rankin, Raji back where all the people who I stop. stop call we comin' out the business in a 1979 and then them the time everything was fine. All kind of man used to live on the streets, rich man, poor man, beggar man, tea. But me never check a man's name, nationality. Yeah. Well, I check a
2: Came over for a couple of days, played on it, went back. Sony were going to stop the album, but and they flew from New York and came and listened and says, "Roger, you're doing a great job. You're lucky because we came to shut the project down." And, really? and then obviously Dave came back. He he heard the stuff. He was loving it. We and then we, you know, we finished it, mixed it, pull it out, and you know, it's a shame really because to me they were. A, a few singles on there, you know. But oh, I, I love it. You know, in, I but love we, that we kind of, all I can say is, we kind of fell out with Sony, so, they, so it, it's a mm-hmm. shame, really. Because Rainy Day has got some traction.
3: Especially designed not to make you go astray. You know. Rainy days rainy, rainy, rainy all day. Song dum 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 dum
1: I heard that on the radio a lot, you know. I'm figuring you guys are kind of re-emerging, coming back, but then that was it.
2: Yeah, well, it's a shame, really, because it's a difficult one. This is a real dark part of general public, and with a big question mark on it, you know. All I can say is if people can remain down-to-earth and level-headed, then they remain realists. That's all I can say about that. Okay. It, but it wasn't <clears throat> so. For, 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 yeah. You know, it wasn't so. It just wasn't so. Um, oh, that's too um, bad. And it, it is a bit. It's a bit of a shame. So, so,
1: yeah,
2: Sony dropped us, and we. I just went back to England, and they stayed in America, and and yeah. I carried on doing my thing, and I didn't. I didn't really talk to for a long time. Up and until, is that because of know, bad
1: blood, some bad blood, or some frustration yeah, about bad, that?
2: Bad karma, really. really. I mean, yeah. it, you yeah. know, if, if I was to go into it, then I'd kind of really be exposing him, and and no, you really don't have be, to do that. I'd, I'd be saying bad things about him, but I mean. Yeah. I think the thing in this business to do, when you're given a chance, like we were given a million dollars by Sony, we were, oh, that's wow. a big chance, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You
2: must be humble. I'm not yeah. saying you okay. must be a yes man, but you must mm-hmm. be very humble and you must watch your words as well. And you must yeah. not be a diva because record companies don't like that, you know?
1: Yeah. They like yeah.
2: people to be real and honest and, and hardworking people, you know?
1: Yeah, they're bringing this band back after 10 years or so giving you a million bucks that's very a delicate balance right? you don't want yeah, to mess that that's up right. Oh, that's right that's too bad that is an underappreciated album there are so many excellent songs on that It Must Be Tough Never Not Alone Never Not Alone Never Not Alone Never Not Alone, never not alone.
3: Never not alone. When are out right on the I the most you're never not alone When you're coming in I When it's time to make your exit When you're out on the dance floor You're never not alone
2: Just, yes. There's so much that I love. About. Never not alone is a vibe. in it. I mean, this is where obviously this is when I started to get into all the ambient music because yes. ambient dub music was quite big in England in you know like you know in the nineties kind of thing you know. And, yes. and so we were we were the first around Birmingham and the West Midlands to be experimenting with that kind of music. As far as I'm concerned, mixing this ambient music with dub music and never not alone, even though it's it's not ambient though it's kind of under it's kind it's of it's yes, got
1: some vibe in there. under yes. there yes atmosphere that's it yes. yes yes killer song um
2: so that, that yes. i'm really proud of that because it's one which i brought Good. with me you know we we had to get tunes together for the album and it's kind of like all right let me go through all my tunes and pick out my best ones and put them to what i think general public could do and put them towards general public and you know
1: very cool i love that album Okay, and I got to ask you one more thing too about your first solo album, Radical Departure. Yeah. Another, I keep interjecting with my own little personal history stories. So I hope that's okay. I remember being in a Raspberry Records in Sandy, Utah. I've recently gotten a seat, my own CD player, and so I'm trying to kind of build up my own collection. And I remember standing yeah. there. I had I, every week I would take my allowance and go buy a new CD. <clears throat> And I remember standing there with Radical Departure in one hand and Jimi Hendrix Are You Experienced in the other hand, not oh, sure wow. which one I was going to buy because I love you know I, which one one is the hot thing that I'm really into right now and the other is one that I should probably have I love and I should have for yeah. my collection. And I went with Radical Departure, so I've always loved that album and I remember hearing so excited on the radio and seeing the videos. So That was making that album. Was that a good experience for you? Did it per, did it perform like you wanted it to? What are your memories of that?
2: Well, to start off with, I'm so excited. It was written by me and Dave.
1: Oh, was that meant for like another general public? Album or something?
2: It, it would have been, yeah. It would have been on the, on the on the next general public album, yeah. I'm sure it would have been, yeah. And obviously we split up, and so yeah. I went. You know, it became it was my, it was my tune in the first place, you know. But when I wrote that album, I was a very angry young man. I mean. Mm-hmm. Not because of work, but because of what was going on, the things that were going on in the world. You know, when you, yeah. you listen to things like Point of View and, uh, and yeah. I Told You and things like that, and they're all oh, about yeah. destruction and nuclear yeah. war and, and you know, really looking at the, the a, a negative side of things, you know. But the music's so positive, that's the thing I don't get. Yeah. It's like you're listening to it, nodding away, going, "Oh, I like this. And yes. you tune into the lyrics, and some of them are a bit dark. Not all of them, but some of them. Well, um, one, it,
1: I'll, I'll yeah.
2: ask you about it. Keep going, I'm sorry. I
1: want to ask you about one minute closer here in a second. Yeah,
2: sure. Um, so keep
1: going.
2: Yeah, but I mean, you know, the, the main thing was, for me, was to keep the rhythm and the melody, and that was it, and, and, you know, that goes throughout the album, definitely. I'm kind of proud of it, because it was my first solo album, and, I didn't fail with it in the way that it's not a rubbish album. It's got good tunes on it, and it's quite danceable and and quite topical as well. So I'm quite proud that I I proved to myself that I could do it by myself, you know, make my own record and still sound good. You know, that was It's a good one. I
1: love that one, too. You know, I've had it since it came out, but I was listening to it again the other day just to prepare it. Wow, great. One Minute Closer to Death... I got to be. Sometimes I can't make out everything you're saying, but it's obviously about a heroin deal or shooting up or something going bad. upbeat song, but there is darkness going on in there. And I thought, I, I wonder if any of this. I hope this isn't too personal. Is any of that a, was a personal experience to you, or were you commenting on what you were seeing
2: out there? Well, it's what I was seeing around me. More, okay. more like. I mean, I've never tried heroin before. I wouldn't really okay. be interested Good. in it to tell the truth. And Good. you know, if I if I was, it would have been when I was a lot younger. I think. But then, even in the punk days we We saw a lot of our friends get you know die and get killed through heroin, so it was a big no no you know even back from then so it's it's life experiences of the experience of seeing other people who've been on it and how it affects them or what it makes them do. You know the story of that is it was the the actual heroine at it was a teacher, <laughs> really you know and that's why i say and that's why i say and and the worst of all, he was a headmaster, oh. and that's why I say, you know those were the days when he was a head, oh yeah, you see yeah, and so, okay. so people think, oh, when he was ahead of himself or when he was ahead in life, oh. which, what do you mean but actually, I mean when he was a headmaster, <laughs> yeah. oh, man. you know, oh yeah. So it's kind yeah. of even deeper, you know, the more you look yes. at it, it's even deeper. Yes. But it just shows you how potentially yeah. that could change somebody's life and make them go totally. down into, into, the, into a, you know. But again, saying that, not that I'm defending it, but I've heard of, you know, quite well-off people who who have mm-hmm. been heroin addicts for years, and they, you know, you'd ne, you wouldn't even know if you saw them on sure. the street, you know. The, right. So I, you know, I, I don't know. I just uh, people yeah. are just said it's just one of, the, you know, the next thing, the closest thing to taking heroin is smoking yeah. cigarettes. If you right. if the withdrawal symptoms you get from not having a cigarette is the same thing, but ten times as worse with heroin. That's what i And I've heard. so, I, you know, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> Are you but are you league. a smoker? I am indeed, yes.
1: Yeah, because I thought I saw, I was looking at, I think I saw an old picture or video of you as a smoker. So you, I'm asking because you know firsthand, you've probably tried to quit here and there throughout the
2: years and had
1: a hard time. Yeah, but,
2: I, well, I have tried to here and there, but to tell the truth, I know it's, uh, uh, at one time it was very sociable and people used to stand around drinking beer and there's a guy, crash the ash, and that means your turn to pass your cigarettes around. Mm. A box mm. of cigarettes wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't, you'd have to buy two boxes of cigarettes in the night, you know, because you and sure. your mates were all chain smoking. And we used to call that social gatherings. I mean, nowadays, it's, it's, you know, if you're smoking, people look down on you, you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, where's your freedom around that then? Because yeah. It's what I want to do, you know. <laughs> right.
1: Starting to so, lose some social acceptance. I've noticed that too.
2: Yeah, but the thing the thing about it is just, you know, you only live once, enjoy your life and do what you do, you know, and, and, and within it all, I've really enjoyed smoking, you know, especially, smoke, especially smoking weed, you know, so sure. that, that to me has given me so much knowledge. It's relaxed me. its yeah. It's helped me in many ways when I can't sleep, you know, and. When yeah. I've had stress, it's helped me it's 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 uh you know it's it's uh, a yeah. it's a brain food that's the way yeah,
1: yeah, I'm not a smoker, but that's what people say I mean, I get it. I live in Colorado where yeah. it's now legal i mean there's people right. smoking on the street like it's nothing anymore you
2: know wow well, so well, now yeah. that I don't know about i mean i think I think it should be done in you know if you do it in your house or you do it somewhere, you shouldn't be done on the street in front of kids and things like that, you yeah. know because it should be done inside in a private domain, and I think yeah. fine then. But, you know, in all my years of being a Bunsen burner, I have never known myself turn to criminality. And I've sure. been a f- for over 35 years. Yeah. Loving I've you, Chief. The, the only anybody. way, right? I've never mugged an old lady. I've never been in a fight. I've never... There's sure. There's no desire. So the stigma they put on it, right. it's totally ridiculous. That's all I have yeah. to say.
3: And no, it's the first time
2: I've actually ever been so open about, you know, what I do in my personal life, and this isn't this is me, but I'm saying it because it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I and it's part of your culture. I mean, you know, you're really into the reggae culture, probably Rastafarianism yeah. to some degree. Indeed. I mean, that's it's all yeah. built. That's a very it's ceremonial. It's not
2: it's necessarily a drug. Definitely. It's part of
1: the respect. It's part of you know the culture. It's very different. I mean, I don't think anyone would be surprised or. Blame you no, or I don't judge or anything. No, I, like don't,
2: that. I don't think they'd be surprised, certainly. But the thing is, at the end of the day, it's not as harmful as the people make it out to be, and, right. and it should be legalized everywhere, and they should sell it and make the economy better because it will really help the economy. And with you know things like you know the CO2 in the in, in the mm-hmm. in in the atmosphere and stuff, it's the fastest growing plant in the world next to bamboo. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, it can help to bring more oxygen to us, you know, and yeah, we need it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think Colorado is kind of an experimental state in all of that right now. I mean, every block has a – it used to be medical marijuana only when that was legal. Now it's just flat out you can buy marijuana anywhere you want. So I think Work. they're kind of waiting to see what happens here and, and if, you know, crime goes up or down or what kind of money yeah. can be made. From taxes and all that kind of stuff,
2: well, they might big money to from influence taxes.
1: the rest of the country. What's that?
2: Yeah, they'll make big money from taxes, and the right. thing is, America needs the money, right? Now. And with the oil at the price while it is now, which is the lowest it's been in fifty years, I think, or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you need some, you need some other thing, and that is the thing because before nineteen thirty three. That was America's main, you know, source, you know, and people forget, you know, hemp goes all the way back to sure. Napoleon days, and that's the reason why he never took over Russia was because he couldn't get no more sales, you know. so, Yeah. yeah. You know, so because of the hemp and stuff like that, or you know, we should use these because it's better than using all the the synthetic materials that right. we use, even if they use it industrially. I mean. Right. Industrial hemp you can't get high off anyway. So they should right. plant that only because it's good for the environment that it's gonna put more oxygen into the into the atmosphere, you know? Right.
1: And it's a lot safer than alcohol. I mean it's a oh, uh, lot definitely. more <laughs> risk involved it's a different in thing. health problems. Yeah. A lot totally safer different things,
2: totally different makeup, totally different uh, chemicals, with slight like chalky sure. cheese, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. I really appreciate this, Roger. I just love you a lot. You've been an integral, major force in the development of me as a person and as a music lover. You've brought hours of joy to my life, and I want to thank you for that. I think you're amazing, and I'm so grateful that you talked to me today. Uh thank you. that's you're a legend. that's really
2: good. That you're is, a legend. you know, some really nice words there, and I I appreciate it. I've taken it all in. You know, that's really heart meant. You know, okay. I know that and. And thank you for, you know, for being so so supportive to us over the years, because mm. without people like you, I couldn't, it's no way, you know, sure without people like you, people out there wouldn't be hearing what I'm up to right now. So, well, all, you know, what I do have to say to people out there is look out for a new beat album with ranking Roger and with ranking okay. junior. And we're gonna mash it up. It's gonna sound as good as any beat album we've ever made. It's gonna sound so good. I'm, you know, what I'm hearing so far is, you know, I can't wait for it to come out. And I'm kind of scared because I think it's gonna it's gonna do really well. But I'm not allowed to say that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: know what you mean. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's great news. People are gonna go bananas for that. You are, you guys are still so beloved over here that um i think they're gonna go crazy excellent well thank you so much roger i really really appreciate your time man
0: there you have it ranking roger the man is a legend i love him so much i'm sure you do too i really don't understand why the two of them can't collaborate at least every so often so that they can make buckets of money and make buckets of people happy i don't get it, but whatever. At least they're out there doing their thing. Hopefully, it happens one of these days. If this is your first time listening to The Hustle, our focus here is largely telling the stories that don't get told as often of the artists that deserve more attention. Now, Roger doesn't exactly fit that bill. He's pretty well known, although his story is less told in America than Dave's is by far. But I urge you to go back into the archives and see if you recognize some names or bands. If you don't by their name, if you click play, I'm pretty sure you're going to recognize the song. And then you're going to get to know the guy behind that song that you love, that you hadn't heard for so long. We're trying to tell those stories. We think they're just as interesting. When you go in there, go into iTunes and write a review. Click subscribe. Let us know what you think. You can find me on Facebook. Just the Hustle Podcast, you can like our page, you can stay in communication with me that way. If you have ideas of people that you would like to hear from on the show that you haven't heard of for a really long time, you can send me a message on Facebook and I'll start looking into it. Or you can send me an email at the at gmail.com. Either works. You can go into YouTube and subscribe to our playlist. Just type in the Hustle Podcast playlist. I update it periodically with more obscure videos of the guests that we have on the show. Not the obvious, like the video to tenderness that you've heard him seen a million times, but more some live stuff, some old interviews, those kinds of things. Huge thanks to Jan Makiewicz, Jan the man, for producing this podcast. We love him so much and we appreciate all the hard work he does. Everybody, next week's guest, I'm not going to tell you who it is, I'm going to tease it here for you. It's the man behind one of the most divisive one hit wonders of the 90s. Some people love this song. Some people hate this song, but it's the man behind one of the biggest and most divisive one-hit wonders of the 90s. Come back next week, and you'll hear from him. Talk to you all later. Thanks, folks.
3: Yeah.